Welcome to Tapping Into What Matters, a CVR podcast where we sit down and chat with people like Taylor Schaefer. Taylor, what matters to you? Community. In this episode, Deputy Chief of Staff for Mayor Joe Hogsett, Taylor Schaefer joined me to talk about her passion for community. We discussed how she fell into a career in politics and the upcoming Indianapolis Bicentennial. She also spilled the beans on all the best things to do in her hometown of Terre Haute, Indiana. Taylor, community is why you're here today and what you want to talk about. What does that mean to you? Why does that matter? So I moved to Indianapolis right after college and... I like the city, right? I, I grew up in a smallish town. And so Indianapolis represented a bigger city to me. Although I'm not sure it's until I started getting involved in community organizations and sort of volunteering and ultimately ended up in the mayor's office that I really understood that a city is a place and a community is the people that make it. And a sense of community is what drives people to get up early in the morning to do community cleanups. It's what drives people to be civically engaged or show up at a council meeting when it's wildly inconvenient because they're passionate about an issue. A community is what makes places livable and what makes uh, neighborhoods have the kind of character that make a community. You said that you are from a small town. Would you mind telling us a little bit just about you, about yourself, your background? Sure. So I grew up in Terre Haute. Um, I always tease that it is the biggest small town in the world. Uh, my pet peeve in life is going back there for holidays uh, with my mom because she will inevitably drag me to the kind of local grocery store for which she will talk to every single person in every single aisle. And it's just, it it is, it is a special experience. And it's one of those things where uh, I couldn't wait to get out of Terre Haute. I actually went to Indiana State, so I was there until I was 21. Uh, <laughs> and it was one of those things where I couldn't wait to get out, and yet I have such a soft spot for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when other people talk about it, I always want to tell them the best parts of Terre Haute, uh, mm-hmm. despite the fact that, that that there weren't exactly a lot of communications uh, opportunities there. So I moved to Indianapolis right after college. I have to know, what are the best parts of Terre Haute? <laughs> so I love Indiana State. Uh, I think the campus is beautiful. It is a college town, even though it doesn't necessarily have the same feel as like a Bloomington. There are four major universities there. There's St. Mary of the Woods. There's Rose Holman, which is a nationally renowned uh, engineering school. Uh, There's Indiana State University, and there's an Ivy Tech campus there. So there really are a lot of education opportunities. I love, like I said, I love the campus of ISU. It's beautiful. And there's a lot of changes that are happening there with the renovation of Holman Center. Uh, There are actually... There have been several times over the years where there have been articles about the sheer number of chain restaurants in Terre Haute. It is pretty uh, astounding, but there's also some really great local ones. Uh, Moggers and Stables are actually, and Terre Haute Brewing Company, are all built out of kind of an old brewing complex. So Stables is where the old stables were for the brewery. Oh, cool. Um, And it's a beautiful steakhouse. 
there's a nice sushi restaurant there, which no one ever believes. Mm, Terrahouse sushi. Yeah. You, I know. <laughs> I, based on your expressions, I know that you don't believe that, but it's true. Uh, and uh, my mom just keeps trying to convince me to come back. There is a new uh, Italian restaurant that was recently opened, uh, actually by a couple that is from here in Indianapolis, but they've opened an Italian restaurant kind of in the downtown area of Terre Haute. So clearly food is fun. Uh, there's also some really great trails and parks mm-hmm. in Terre Haute area. Yeah. Not exactly the most outdoorsy in the world, but yeah. you know, when you, when you need those moments, yeah, it's a nice, some to have nice the things. Options. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and obviously, like we don't have to keep talking about Terre Haute because we could all day. <laughs> um, but I think even the fact that you were talking about how like it's it's almost too much when you go to the grocery with your mom there that she's talking to everybody, but that's a community too. Like that's insane. Hundred percent. She will give me a hard time that for as much as. What I wanted when I left Terre Haute was anonymity. I've sort of created a life for myself here in Indianapolis where that's not exactly become my biggest priority. I mean, mm-hmm. she, she'll come over and have lunch with me and make fun of the number of people that I will talk to mm-hmm. when we're walking around the city market. And she's <laughs> like, you're as bad as I am. And, you know, that's yeah. probably true. I hope she enjoys listening to this podcast where you are the guest. That's right. Yes. Really Schaefer right here. Um, that's uh, that's awesome. So thank you for sharing that. And um, what brought you then from, from Terre Haute up here? Was it a job? I knew I wanted to do communications. I thought I probably wanted to be at an agency. Um, I had explored kind of some other opportunities uh, and didn't know that corporate communications was exactly where I could see myself. So I was a communications major with a minor in political science and thought that I probably needed to be in a bigger city to be able to really have those kind of job opportunities. Mm-hmm. So the intention at the time, as I'm sure many Indianapolis residents could sympathize with, was that I was going to come to Indianapolis, I was going to work here for a couple of years to get some experience, and then move to another city where there were probably more opportunities and kind of a bigger city lifestyle that I thought at the time I really wanted. How long have you been in Indy now then? About 10 years. Okay, wow. Um, Congratulations Mm -hmm. and welcome, I guess, or I don't know, whatever Mm -hmm. it would be for 10 years. Um, So then that brings you to currently serving as uh, the Deputy Chief of Staff for Mayor Hogsett. How did you get into that role? And was government kind of part of something you've always been interested in, or does that go back to your community bend? I think government was always something I was interested in. Um, I always tell the story that I'm a little bit of a pop culture junkie. Uh, There are many, many uh, tangents we could go on in that path. But I, there was a show that was on for one season called Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. And it was written by Aaron Sorkin, and I was obsessed with it. <laughs> and no one watched this show. Nobody did. There was a reference about. to Terre Haute in the very first episode. It was also one of the characters was based on Kristen Chenoweth, who was Aaron Sorkin's ex-girlfriend. So this was like, and as nerdy as this sounds, this was like senior year in high school, Taylor, and I was it. I was camped out. It actually premiered the same season as 30 Rock. And so like there was this dynamic oh, of yeah, Studio 60 was like the dramatic version of behind the scenes of SNL, mm-hmm. whereas 30 Rock was sort of this satirical, more yeah. Parks and Rec style feel. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I loved it. And I also was always the kid who I did Hoosier Girl State. I did. I was part of student government all through high school. Like I, I liked politics. I liked government. And everyone just kept saying to me, "You know that Aaron Sorkin wrote a show that wasn't terrible. 
called The West Wing. Maybe you should watch that instead of this really awful show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes. I mean, politics was always something I was interested in. My uh, great uncle was a longtime elected official um, in Terre Haute. He was on the school board and then was a state representative for many years. And it was always something that interested me, despite the fact that kind of in my immediate family, it was not at all something that was going on in our world. Um <laughs> I would consider I would consider my immediate family about as apolitical as they come. So, yeah, it was something that interested me. I minored in political science. And then when I came up here, I really wanted the sort of stability of a kind of full-time job. And I had friends that were doing the sort of jumping from campaign to campaign, and I just didn't see a path for myself. And and as crazy as that sounds to me now, because I have friends that very much pursued that out of college and have made wonderful careers for themselves, I just, it was really important to me to be independent. And so I really felt like there was, like I said, stability in the career path that I saw for myself. And so continued to kind of dabble in politics as a hobby of volunteering for campaigns and being involved in some local young professional groups and those type of things. Um, I was accepted the Emerging Leaders Program a couple of years ago. And like that was that was kind of the extent to where I saw myself playing in that world. And then in 2015, I had friends that were involved in trying to convince the then just stepped down U.S. attorney to run for mayor. Uh, and they asked me to participate. So I started doing all sorts of things with them. I started uh, helping to put together social media accounts and the the nitty gritty of kind of launching a campaign, right? Like figuring mm-hmm. out what the website looks like and who has access to it and who's sending out the digital newsletters. Like none of the fun things, but right. like the things that the have, things to, that happen, have to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> stood outside on a very, very, very cold night uh, at Martin Luther King Park and listened to Joe Hogshead announce that he was going to run for mayor uh, and then sort of stayed around with them um, in more and more of a capacity. And at the time, I was working for a local advertising agency that was incredibly supportive of the fact that I had this extracurricular and that I was spending more and more of my time uh, dabbling in that extracurricular. And finally, about... I'm going to say maybe August of 2015. Well, I guess I should take a step back. About July of 2015, I call my mom one night and say, I think I'm quitting my job. And she's like, you're not quitting your job. I'm like, no, I think I'm quitting my job. (laughs) Like, I had spent all of these months leading up to this point saying, like, I'm good. Like, I love what I'm doing. I love where I am. I love how supportive they've been about every part of this. And we're going to get through the election, and I'm going to say – I'm good. Like, mm-hmm. this has been a very fun experience. I love you all. Bye. Good luck. Right. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going back to my normal life. And I'm not even sure at the time I could really see a role for myself in government. I, I'm not even sure I knew what that was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, about July, I was like, I think it's going to feel different. I think election night is going to feel different if I'm not a part of that team. If I haven't actually taken that jump into that world as opposed to kind of the safety of standing on the sidelines because I think I'm going to regret not having had this opportunity. So about 30 days longer, I sat down with my bosses uh, at YNL and said, I think I'm 
gonna leave. Um, mm-hmm. And God love them, they were incredibly supportive. Um, and I did. I went full time to the campaign at the end of that month, and then stayed on through 2015. Did the transition. It's a transition team to sort of get things in line to work with the Ballard administration to figure out how things would flow. So that there mm-hmm. was as few hiccups as possible right, as right. you're making that kind of like wholesale office change mm-hmm. and uh, then have been with the administration ever since. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's that's very interesting. I think that you stumble into things that fit for you, you know, I think a lot of times and especially if you've always had an interest and I think it's really awesome that you recognize that and we're like, I, I have to see this through. No, I, I, someone I work with always teases me that I came into this job thinking I like politics mm-hmm. and it turns out I just liked Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's some truth to that. I mean, I'm not telling you that I'm not like frantically live tweeting presidential debates, but uh, <laughs> I, I do think that part of what gets me up in the morning is the fact that I can drive through a neighborhood, I can drive through my neighborhood and directly see the impact of things that we've worked on. Mm -hmm. And even four years later, that hasn't stopped being insanely exciting for me. I mean, um, one of the first things that we, one of the first really big things we worked on and kind of from start to finish was the streetlights initiative. So working with IPL mm-hmm. to sort of modernize and retrofit all of the streetlights in Indianapolis. There had yeah. been a 30-year moratorium on those streetlights, mm-hmm. and they just they didn't reflect modern technology, both from a cost perspective and also from an infrastructure perspective. Mm-hmm. The grid was the exact same it was 30 years ago. I mean, think about how much where people live has changed and right, how right. like demographics of the city have spread and mm-hmm. moved in different ways within neighborhoods. From the time that we started talking about that to the time we had moved to contract negotiations and we're talking about what we wanted from those in the state of the city address mm-hmm. to the the retrofit having now moved to Center Township and me driving through my neighborhood and seeing the brand new streetlights, like as small as that sounds, that is the most rewarding part about, I think, local government mm-hmm. is that sometimes it feels like it takes a while to get things done. But in the scheme of things, it's short. I mean, it's a short amount of time that you're able to affect a lot of different areas. And that has been really cool. Like you literally have been able to see that change. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think that that part of your story too that's so interesting and I think that you've kind of seen come to fruition is is things like that volunteering and how it's not always the most convenient thing to go do to show up, um, to be engaged in your community and see the results. I think that's pretty essential part of making a choice about something that you're into. How would you say that those kind of things help you build community, showing up, volunteering? My experiences, especially when it comes to being engaged in the community, don't necessarily fit into one clean box. Um, I've been involved in Mary Rigg Neighborhood Center almost since the time I moved up to Indianapolis um, and have been a part of the Indie Hub Foundation as well as the City Market Board for the last several years. And I'll say that the, in my mind, the common thread in all of those is being a resource for people and making the city a better place. And that works in really different ways, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Mary Rigg is providing pretty essential services on the southwest side of Indianapolis. And they're providing GED training and providing skills training and providing immediate care. So when someone's power bill is is the barrier to being able to have heat in the winter, 
trying to be an advocate for them in that process, mm-hmm. um, tr- providing before and after school care, taking kids to uh, college campuses over the summer months so that middle schoolers are thinking about what their next step is mm-hmm. to an emergency food pantry. They they truly touch sort of the spectrum of people's lives, but it's about those surrounding communities mm-hmm. and how they're increasing the quality of life for those individuals. City Market was almost torn down just a few decades ago. Uh, And the fact that the community came together with the help of the Lilly Endowment to preserve that as an asset for our community, to be a gathering place for all sorts of events, right? Everything Mm -hmm. from nonprofit events to culinary events to really building the culture of our community through mm-hmm. arts events, it is it truly does get to be sort of a heartbeat for Indianapolis and for downtown, which is a really fast-growing neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, – so for the record, Molly Chavers is also from Terre Haute, so I feel <laughs> like I should also include that as I'm about to talk about Indy Hub. Um, <laughs> one of the first things that I did was uh, – learning about IndieHub, I think even before I was on the board, was introduced to IndieVolved, which is sort of the Mm. basic premise that 20 and 30-somethings are more likely to stay in Indianapolis Mm. if they have a connection beyond their workplace, Mm. right? I love that It's not just about their immediate friends. It's not just about their immediate workplace. It's about feeling invested in the community Mm. and feeling like there is a reason that that you are contributing and that there's a reason for you being here. And every year that event continues to grow thanks to the incredible team at, at Indie Hub. And I, I think that is a testament to sort of the mentality of Indianapolis that mm-hmm. be, not just that we need you, but mm-hmm. that you have a chance to make an impact, however that is, right? There are like right. six floors of vendors there. Right. And it's everything from arts and culture to food to music to uh poverty to education, you've got kind of a spectrum of service providers that are saying, we need you to show up. Mm -hmm. And not only do we need you to show up, but we don't care that you're 20 or 30 something. We want you to be on a board. We want you to be involved in a leadership role. Mm -hmm. We want you to be able to shape the way our organization runs today and in the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really cool thing about Indianapolis. Indievolve in particular is, like you said, like six floors of just Everything. And I mean, I've been going the last couple of years and I can't believe the growth of it. And then just there's something new every year. Mm-hmm. And it's all of a sudden I'll get, I'll leave that event and I'll get like 20 emails the next day. I'm like, oh, overextended myself. <laughs> but it's so cool. And to talk to all the different folks who come in, I've had conversations with people who were like, oh, I've been here for like six months. I didn't even know, you know, blank happened in India. I didn't know you all had a chapter of whatever. And I'm like, yeah, go sign up. Well, I also love that they've really worked to incorporate entities and organizations that you might not think need your engagement, right? right. I mean, like Indie Film Fest to me is a great example mm-hmm. where there are so many volunteers that make that event possible. Mm-hmm. And while it is, it's a cultural event and it brings it brings world-class films to Indianapolis and, and gives this wonderful way of not just celebrating that industry, but also highlighting new fields in the mm-hmm. museum and those facilities. But also that'll only works because the people in Indianapolis want it to work, right? Yes. It's, it's not some 
big bureaucratic organization. It's yeah. something that at the end of the day is really kind of run at a grassroots level, mm -hmm. even as it continues to grow and expand. Absolutely. There's some, and you can find like different levels of commitment. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's something like an indie film fest or indie pride weekend or indie Irish fest, any of those kind of things, yeah, I can commit a couple hours over a weekend. Sure. Dip your toe in. And there's other organizations you can really grow with. They're like, oh, we need year round support. And I think that's a really nice way to kind of build that community among I guess, emerging leaders or even just people who are bored, yeah. you know, like how many times on a weekend are you home and people are like, what's going on? And you're like, I don't know. You know, there's always something to be getting involved. And in. I think that's one of the best things about, uh, Indievolve. Yeah. You know? And I think it, it, it is such an accessible event, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's your, to your point, it doesn't need to be, it is not just for the most ambitious, although goodness knows there are plenty of those people there mm -hmm. because, because it gives you those opportunities, right? It, right? it very clearly and intentionally provides opportunities to get connected to organizations that will provide leadership. And, and those, those types of things that 20 and 30 somethings may be interested in. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it, it also is works very hard at being approachable. I mean, there are mm. DJs there, right? There's right. there's food, there's drinks, there's music. Yeah. It very much tries to also be something that isn't so focused on kind of advancement that it's not accessible for anyone that wants to walk in there and, mm -hmm. and kind of learn more about Indianapolis. Yeah, you don't have to want to run the show. That's we just right. want you to be part of it, you yeah. know? Yeah, I think that's really cool, which kind of wonderfully segues into a question I've got about the Indianapolis Bicentennial coming up. So this is a big monumental year in the Monument City. I don't know if that's what we call ourselves ever, but we have a monument, <laughs> and I know we talk Sorry. about it a lot. Um, what kind of engagement or what kind of events are happening around this? How's, how's the mayor's office getting involved? Is there anything? Yeah, so there's a whole lot of things happening right now. Um, for some context, Indianapolis constantly suffers from an identi identity crisis when it comes to this celebration. So we celebrated our centennial in 1920. We celebrated our sesquicentennial in 1971 uh, because it is a little complicated. We <laughs> decided that we were going to make this area of ground uh, the new state capital in uh, 1820. And then the General Assembly didn't vote on that. They didn't ratify it until 1821. Mm -hmm. So as a result, the city is planning to celebrate our bicentennial from June, actually June 7th, which is when the General Assembly voted uh, on Indianapolis the first time, to... Um, the end of May, May 2021, uh, oh, as a year-long celebration of mm -hmm. the city. And our intention is for that to be as diverse and inclusive as possible. So we are currently kind of in a planning phase. There's a commission of seven individuals and then that are, is uh, with two honorary co-chairs, Mayor Ballard and Mayor Peterson, uh, who are helping to shape a year-long kind of celebration of events. And leading up to June, we'll be announcing all sorts of fun things. Um, everything from local uh, organizations, local brewery. Uh, <laughs> you got it. It's right. Indianapolis. We've got a million. So we got to have it. Them. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, local stores, local nonprofit organizations, local community organizations that are working together to be able to really celebrate where Indianapolis is to kind of talk about some of the hard issues that we've faced as a community, um, sometimes really well and sometimes not so well, and what we can learn from those as we look to the future. Um, 
I'm going to just talk incessantly. So you all should stop me when I say, if I say something interesting. Um, <laughs> we've announced four kind of signature projects and we'll continue to announce more of those uh, leading up to June. The first tour, and I'm going to mess this up uh, because I do. The first one is the Indiana Historical Society. So they're going to do a year long um, exhibit there with all sorts of history of Indianapolis and the founding of Indianapolis as our state's capital, our third uh, state capital, <laughs> to and they'll have an exhibit on redlining. So talking about kind of the devastating effects of the systemic redlining of our community, um, what the highway did to neighborhoods, specifically largely African-American neighborhoods mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. Um, as well as some really cool celebrations of neighborhoods that had fallen into disrepair and have really seen a transformation in the last several years. I was just last time I was over there was looking at photos of Mass Ave and how and how drastically oh different it has yeah. been from um, sort of dilapidated buildings to the revitalization it's seen in the last yeah. ten years. Yeah. Second one is the with a partnership with the Polis Center. They're actually redoing the Encyclopedia of Indianapolis. Um, so I don't know if you all have one somewhere sitting I, around your I office. Don't. It I is my favorite thing. Really? Uh, they, Indy Reads oftentimes has them. It is mm -hmm. a big old book uh, that has just about everything about Indianapolis you could ever possibly need. Uh -huh. I reference it in my job constantly. Yeah. Uh, I'm constantly pulling information from that for remarks for the mayor or things that are coming out of our mm -hmm. office. They're updating it and making a digital version mm -hmm. so that anyone can log on and be able to have uh, additional information about Indianapolis and some of the cultural and civic and business entities that have helped to shape the city. Uh, the third one is a partnership with the Indianapolis Arts Council. It is really focusing on two main projects right now. One is a continuation of the, the portrait series. So we have uh, Kurt Vonnegut on Mass Ave. Mm -hmm. We have Mari Evans on Mass Ave. We have, obviously, Reggie Miller uh, <laughs> right off of, what, Delaware and Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to do two additional portraits in 2020, I think, with the intention of having some more over the next mm -hmm. several years yeah. uh, to uh, cross Indianapolis. Additionally... Going back to uh, downtown streets, if you're driving north on Delaware, if you're driving south on Delaware, you're going the wrong way. But if you're driving <laughs> north on Delaware, right by the city county building, before you get to Market Street, there is a beautiful mural that is in not great shape. Mm -hmm. um, it is a Hobart mural um, that was done in the 70s. And like I said, it's in it, it needs some love, let's say that. And mm -hmm. so part of one of the things that they're working on is actually redoing that. The artist is still alive, and they're working on restoring that as part of the bicentennial. Oh, that's awesome. That's very exciting. I think I love all that art that's across, like, indie that's popped up. You know, I mean, I feel like I think Kurt Vonnegut was the first one, maybe. I think so, too. And I think at first it was like, very lonely. I was like, Kurt's right. just hanging out mm -hmm. here. But then like, you know, with everyone else popping up and everything, I think it's also just great to have art in right. your city. Yeah. I think the investment in public art is really reflective of the city's increased focus on placemaking. I mean, it, it very much represents kind of how a community can identify itself and how it can celebrate what, what that area means to the city. I think a lot about Indiana Avenue and the fact that we are, I think, working increasingly. The community is working to 
kind of recapture the story of Indiana Avenue. And I think it also is reflective of not wanting to let go of sort of the culture and history of areas, even as they change and evolve, ensuring that sort of that legacy of what came before and what made it an iconic space continues, even as an area like Mass Ave sees a lot of growth and a lot of additional restaurants, theaters, Mm -hmm. housing options all around that corridor. And then four is a uh, partnership between WFYI and Banyout Photography. They're working on a documentary series highlighting the people who have built Indianapolis. Um, Mm. Some in kind of traditional ways with some of the people that you might imagine, but also some as like groups and organizations that have helped to build our community. And there'll be more of those type of signature projects. I encourage anyone that's interested in learning more to visit IndieTurns200.com. There's also a community application on there. So organizations that have longstanding events like Indievolved, we're encouraging them to figure out ways that when their event falls at any point during the bicentennial, how can you really wrap your arms around that celebration? Mm -hmm. Uh, Those kind of themes of the bicentennial of history and civics um, and legacy to be able to make that event special for that bicentennial yeah, year. So for people and organizations that are interested in that, they can mm-hmm. visit IndieTurns200.com, fill out the application. It'll go before a group of people who are kind of reviewing those, mm-hmm. um, and they can get the endorsement of the Bicentennial Commission. Well, like I said, we'll also have uh, city-sponsored events. I imagine that there'll be something around June 7th for people to hold their calendar, mm-hmm. some sort of celebration of it, as well as things throughout the year. So during the sesquicentennial celebration, they uh, launched Summer Celebration, Black Expo Summer mm-hmm. Celebration. It was also the launch of the 4th of July fireworks, as oh. we know them today. Yeah. Um, so we want to be able to have, we really want to be able to utilize the bicentennial as a launching pad mm-hmm. for other things like that, signature events that Indianapolis can, that can become part of Indianapolis's DNA mm-hmm. um, in the future. I love that it's got a very... Uh, well-rounded approach. I mean, there's reflection and then there's celebration and then we're going to continue traditions by adding new ones. And I think that that's very, it feels very Indianapolis to me anyway. Like even the idea that, well, we kind of had three different capitals for a while. Mm -hmm. We're working through it. We're figuring it (laughs) out. And here we are. We're so happy with it. Like I love, it just already feels like a very Indianapolis uh, way to celebrate this. So that's very awesome. Well, I would say that before the end of the month, people should uh, follow at Indie Turns 200 on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the end of the month, we'll be announcing our uh, logo contest winners. So we asked local designers and artists to submit designs for the lo- for the iconography of the Bicentennial. Mm-hmm. It's actually what they did in 1971 as well. A designer from a local ad agency created that circle that you see sometimes uh-huh. uh, that was the sesquicentennial logo. And so we'll be announcing that. We'll actually be doing it in partnership with Visit Indy's State of Tourism at the end of the month. Oh, cool. Um, Are you still taking submissions for that? We are not. So the process closed uh, kind of end of last year, and then we've had a panel that has reviewed all of those. Mm -hmm. And like I said, the winner will be announced at the end of this month. There'll also be a People's Choice Award winner that'll also receive a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. Um, And those will go online at about the same time. And people can check out our Facebook page and like whichever one uh, is their favorite. And... As part of that, the shop 
um, oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. Broad Ripple, they mm-hmm. have a store in Broad Ripple, mm-hmm. is actually going to do a t-shirt series for us as well. So oh, you'll cool. be able to buy uh, t-shirts with the logo from the Bicentennial, but also from the Sesquicentennial and the Centennial. Oh, perfect. Uh, Throwback, of course. For that. Yeah, right, of exactly. Course. If people were to like walk away from hearing our conversation with just like one thing, what would you want them to know about community, the Bicentennial, or anything that you're just like, you know, I got a mic in my face and Taylor's got to say this. <laughs> um <laughs> I think sometimes it is an overused cliche that in Indianapolis, everyone is a couple degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really true. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always amazed by how interconnected this community is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a cool thing. I think it's I think it's a really neat thing about Indianapolis that just about anyone can pick up the phone or contact someone and say, hey, I'd like to get more involved in this. Mm-hmm. And at any given time, you're only probably a couple degrees away from the right person to connect you to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are so many opportunities in Indianapolis to change the fabric of a neighborhood, of a community, of a thing that you're passionate about, of an issue that you care about. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's always exciting to see the number of people that choose to get engaged in that one. I love it. I don't and know. That, that I think that's a great answer. Okay. And I think, well, if you had half the time you answer that, <laughs> you make that call and say, hey, what can I do? People say, oh my God, I'm so glad you called. Oh, without so, a doubt. And, yeah. and going back to the builders concept, one of the things we've talked about is highlighting volunteers because Indianapolis has such a legacy of bringing people together around a concept, right? I mean, we often talk about that in in conjunction with the Pan Am Games, that Mm -hmm. that was really the culmination of a two decades long strategy to think about what sports looked like in Indianapolis, how we could be the amateur sports capital of the world. It was it was not actually supposed to come to Indianapolis. And then there were sort of national tensions and it or international tensions and it came to Indy. And all of a sudden you had hundreds of volunteers who helped make that mm-hmm. event possible. Yeah. And for as devastating, I think in some ways as RIFRA was it also was really cool to watch Indianapolis come together in that way. Right. That, and while that is decades different, while it is completely different circumstances, mm-hmm. you saw a similar kind of community rallying mm-hmm. of these are the things that we care about. This is who we are as a community. Mm-hmm. And we want to stake out our identity. And like I said, it, yeah. I think that's actually no different even all of those decades later. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm always so hopeful because Indianapolis, I think, uniquely possesses the capacity to do that. And I would agree. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so fun. And I could talk to you for another, like, <laughs> several hours, but Kelly would be like, we got to go. Um, <laughs> and that's true. We do got to go. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I'm Meg McLean, and this has been Tapping Into What Matters with Taylor Schaefer. In case you missed it, Indy is turning 200 this summer. You can learn more or get involved at IndyTurns200.com. This podcast is a CVR production located at the corner of New York and College. If you would like to know more about CVR or are interested in joining us on this podcast to discuss what matters to you, please reach out to Kelly Young at kyoung at cvrindy.com. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Tapping Into What Matters.